0: Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Olivia Thomas and today we're talking about trust. Edelman has now launched its 19th annual Trust and Credibility Study, measuring trust across numerous sectors globally. The study reveals some interesting insights into the state of public trust at a time of great uncertainty both internationally and within the UK. Today we will look at what these findings mean for technology brands and what companies should be doing to earn and maintain loyalty for both consumers and employees. We're joined today by Justin Westcott. Justin is General Manager of Edelman London with over 13 years of experience working with major consumer and technology clients. We're also joined by Jackie Wallace, who is an account director at Edelman Intelligence here in London with over seven years' experience helping brands across a broad range of sectors. Welcome to Sideload, Justin and Jackie, and thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, nice to join.
0: First of all, I think it's fair to say we're living in very uncertain times, um, particularly here in the UK, um, and with uncertainty comes mistrust. Brexit fears aside, technology itself often plays into our anxieties, whether that's social media or artificial intelligence. Jackie, what do these findings mean for you and what do you find most
2: interesting this year? So I think of course our data showed that everyone was quite focused on Brexit, but even with that we saw that 1 in 10 Brits were concerned about there being fewer job opportunities because of automation. So while public conversation isn't focusing on this, it is a concern that businesses need to address. Additionally, we've seen that there's concerns about business not investing in the workforce of the future, and really that's one of the reasons that Brits feel that the way business works today is not necessarily good for society. I think all of these concerns um, need to be addressed and really are are something that. That businesses have to bear in mind Mm -hmm. particularly as we get closer to the other side of Brexit. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah and the thing that jumped out for me actually is just how pessimistic people are feeling about the future Uh, and being someone who is a uh, technology optimist Mm -hmm. and and believe the power of technology to make all all our lives better no matter where we live in the world. I think that for me is a real concern because it feels like technology government and society as a whole isn't really being come isn't coming together to deliver on the promise
0: mm-hmm. and one thing i found quite interesting was that the trust barometer actually found trust in social media although it appears to be steadily increasing in the uk and globally um it still remains the most mistrusted of all media i mean does that surprise you guys i mean i think
2: it's It's increasing from a very low base. If if we look at it, I think it's something like 29% trust in social versus 60% trust in traditional media, so there's still quite a ways to go to rebuild that public trust in social media and in the content. We also see that there's still quite significant concerns about fake news and fake news being used as a weapon. And we saw that in the UK, Brits didn't necessarily think that social media companies have done enough to address these concerns and concerns around the way that their platforms are being used or misused over the past year.
1: Yeah, I, look, I mean, it'd be naive for anyone not to think that social media as an industry has not had a good couple of years. Uh, it's not been a good couple of years. It's a, a business that I think, or an industry story that I think is struggling to uh, keep all of its audiences engaged. Um, because, like, I question the utility. Yeah, I think I think the the quest from social networks have been on this kind of win-win promise that we can make money whilst we connect the world, and connecting the world is a positive thing that everyone wants. The reality is that as quickly as they're trying to connect the world, globalisation, we're seeing a massive increase of national, <laughs> of polarisation of political views and a return to nationalism. Something isn't working here. Um, and I think we've just got to be extremely careful. There's so many whistleblowers that have come out post-Cambridge Analytica, which I think was concerning. Um, around the techniques that these organisations are deploying to keep people uh, addicted to their tools like crack Um, and I think this is a real concern Um, I I worry that we're looking at kind of the modern day tobacco farmers wearing (laughs) t-shirts like this is an industry that really needs to sort itself out
0: there's definitely a lot of anxieties around social media and social media use Um, and obviously a lot of negatives that can come out of it, but don't you think there are also positives to social media?
1: Uh, of course. <laughs> uh, my, my challenge here is whether the negatives are starting, and I believe probably outweighing the positives. And look, I, I genuinely believe in the people that are running these organizations have really good intentions. Um, I just struggle on a couple of things. One, their quest to uh, grow at all cost because of the fact that they are slaves of the capitalist model, you know, they come up with these great idealistic ideas, it's fantastic, and then they've got to raise capital mm-hmm. and as soon as you list yourself on a, on a market exchange, growth is everything, um, and I think that's coming at the expense of their ideals and the expense of actually the utility because what these companies have actually built, I believe, is the world's most effective advertising platform, I'm not sure that's what they started with as their idea.
0: Would you say they've lost their way?
1: <laughs> uh, I I I think they're uh, I think they're struggling um, to think about how they can continue to be successful.
0: And what do you think the answer is
2: like do we need more regulation?
1: I think it's inevitable.
2: I think it's already coming.
1: I mean, we've
2: we've already seen moves in that direction from various governments i i think i mean i as as an expat who lives far away from my friends and family that i grew up with i i rely on these things to give me some sort of connection but at the same time i'm deeply wary of what i'm getting and if i keep seeing the same pair of ankle boots advertised Thanks. to me across Thanks. 10 different <laughs> platforms it makes me nervous and it makes me nervous because i I'm un- unlike Justin who believes in the promise of technology, I'm, <laughs> I'm much more skeptical about it, but I think that there, there has to be a way to balance that need to make money to sustain a business with moving in the right direction and with having a value add beyond generating advertising revenue.
1: Yeah I mean these are probably the most successful uh, companies that have ever been created for extracting value out of uh, other countries and and farming it back to the mothership. They are fantastic (laughs) hoovers of of wealth and they're they're in turn potentially progress in other markets, they're extractive Uh, and I think this is just something that fundamentally has has to be looked at.
0: Well Justin you mentioned that social media platforms are almost just becoming advertising platforms so if the public are no longer trusting what they're seeing on their Facebook feed, um, do you feel that brands should be more wary of using social-only um, com strategies?
1: Uh, I would probably never counsel a client to have a social-only <laughs> um, com strategy. I think uh, if you, you know, follow and understand good marketing, it's all about synergy of channels to get the most effectiveness. You know, social is an extremely effective channel for reaching and engaging an audience which is exactly why it's such an efficient and effective channel for advertising. Uh, It has its merit, for sure. Um, I just would never uh, counsel anyone just to think just in the social box. You've got to think about multiple channels to have maximum effectiveness of your campaigns.
2: And I think building on that, what we've seen from our research at Adelman is really that while that social and that advertising can be great for generating top line interest, if you really want to drive deeper engagement and a more meaningful relationship with your consumers, you need to do more and you need to work harder and that's where Earned plays a big role in generating that engagement because it's something that can't be bought and paid for and it's not a throw money at it solution to actually uh, building those relationships.
0: And sort of on that note, um, so we've touched on like the really dark side of social media, but we've also mentioned that there is obviously the natural good side. And I think almost more now than ever before, people are using social to sort of bridge the divide between brands and their consumers. And it's really giving consumers quite a strong and very public voice um, to almost take down brands, you know, and call them out. you know, I think very recently there was um, a campaign by Avon um, which was sort of about uh, this new cream that could like get rid of cellulite. And they were saying sort of, you know, oh dimples are ugly, but unless they're on your face <laughs> uh, and a whole, there was a, like a social media storm. And obviously that's just one of many, many examples. Um, so to that point, do you think um, brands are risking sort of losing consumer trust and even employee trust if they're not you know using social and having a sort of strong brand purpose
1: yeah look I would say one of the the, the advantages and the beauty of social media is the ability to listen um and brands who really kind of understand their audiences and what they care about are probably unlikely to make some of those mistakes that we've seen other brands make with um you know content that actually offends and alienates their audiences I think there's a lot of valuable information the brand can 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 take forward. And equally we've been talking about this for nine or so years about how the you know the pyramid of influence is completely immersed. You know, it used to be the case that, you know, brands were the sort of the kings of the castle and able to really control and dictate the messages and what people would receive. Yeah, you know, social media upended all that. Um, and actually is giving way more power to the consumer. Uh, To make a stand and take action. So I agree with you. I think there. I as I said, I'm an optimist. I think there's a lot of positives here. Uh, I just fundamentally, at the moment, I'm disagreeing with how the economic model is being led to manipulate, as opposed to potentially influence.
2: I think you've got a, a great point there about the the opportunity that social actually can provide in terms of. Driving that engagement and that activism and actually allowing consumers to take part in and co-create real change with businesses. I think that um, while there are issues with the ecosystem in which it happens and how that's regulated, there is a huge opportunity for brands to drive that sort of shared action and personal empowerment that we've seen is so important not only for the employer-employee relationship, but really in shaping consumers' purchase decisions. I mean, these days you you can't just make a good product. That is not enough. The sort of baseline has moved on beyond that. And I think that there's incredible opportunity in social to, to reach people who could otherwise just be sitting on the couch doing nothing and really get them to get involved. And that's amazing when you think about all of the changes that need to happen.
0: And you mentioned their um, employees and sort of the employer-employee relationship of sort of big brands as well. Um, and I think it's fair to say that a lot of brands now care a lot about purpose. Um, do you think that has played into the fact that more people now trust their employers? I think that was a finding from the trust report was that more people are now trusting their employers and I found that quite interesting. So do you think that sort of links into the trend and the rise of purpose?
2: Yeah, so I think as as new generations of, of people are entering the workforce, we see that there is this really strong trusted relationship with my employer, more so than business, government, NGOs. And part of that is that it's an active choice. You are you're buying into the the beliefs and the behaviors of the business that you work for, it's uh, interviews are no longer sort of one-directional. It's, it's potential employees interviewing the company as much as it is the company deciding whether or not they're right. And there's a lot of personal empowerment in that and in making those choices. And we've seen that the beliefs behind those and the, the personal beliefs behind the decision-making process of where to work is as much about what the pay is or career progression opportunities as it is about purpose and whether or not they feel they will be able to really make their mark on the organization that they're joining and on the world
1: yeah i always feel really sorry for those people in that survey that said they distrust their employer because I look at that and go, why the hell are you still there? You're clearly trapped. Because um, I, I, I generally think you know, we live in times where it's never been as easy to potentially explore new opportunities, find new ways of earning a living. Um, so, I, I, my, my heart goes out to these people that distrust their employer um, because I just don't think anyone should work for a company they don't trust.
0: Still to come, we discuss the rise of the machines and whether tech companies can really make the world a better place. But first, let's listen to a clip from the last episode of Sideload, where we look ahead at what 2019 has in store for us.
1: The really exciting thing to think about and talk about is what is the human plus machine gonna look like So when the human works with the machine, what are the outcomes that we can achieve that we weren't able to achieve beforehand? And that's when I think it gets really kind of quite exciting and interesting for companies and for society more generally. My sort of note note of caution about it is whether, whether we've really um, thought enough and have got the kind of policy policy ideas around, particularly around education, so that the, you know, those who are in education at the moment are actually going to be able to interact and work with the machine in a way to achieve those quite exciting outcomes.
0: You're listening to Sideload. We're joined by Justin and Jackie, and we're discussing the significance of trust within the tech sector. We've spoken about the importance of brand purpose in maintaining a happy and loyal workforce, but is that enough? We're facing the era of artificial intelligence, and I think that scares a lot of people. We wonder, will we be replaced by smarter machines? Justin, what do you think? Is this the start of the robot uprising?
1: (laughs) Whoa, a big question to sort of drop on me. Um, Look, I think there's still, a ton of uncertainty around this. Um, if I'm honest with you, I've spent a lot of time speaking to you know, experts in artificial intelligence, and experts really differ on their views on the speed at which this is going to actually influence uh, populations and societies. The one thing they are all consistent on is that it will have a big impact, um, whether that's in the short term, you know, it's 2 to 5, or whether that's in 10 to 15 years. Um, there is change coming, uh, as, uh, as people would say. Um, are we seeing the machine uprising look i i I think uh, again, as we're talking broadly around trust and media that's our world um we do live in, a, in an industry where the the shock and awe leads you yeah? we We are naturally pre prepositioned to read negative stories you're much more likely to read stories or see headlines in a newspaper about the AI uprising or taking jobs, as you are about all the benefits that AI is actually potentially doing to save lives, um, as it can do and has done in the health industry. And I think we're already seeing, probably I think, a a real under-deployment of AI in, in the health industry partly because there are all these concerns around AI and you know, privacy and its decision making that is holding back that investment happening um, you know if I'm honest with you I probably think it's when Brexit happened you know we've, we've been 20 years of headlines about how awful Europe was you didn't read stories about well done Europe that was good did you uh, we were pre-programmed <laughs> therefore to think it was all shit. Uh, and I think AI has been caught up in, in that, you know, we haven't really seen many positive AI films have we? I think,
2: true, um, I, I think it's interesting as well because I, as someone who doesn't spend all of their time reading Wired and engaged in the tech conversation um, but does work for a range of different clients who do all sorts of, of different jobs, or whose employees do all sorts of different jobs that are impacted by all of this. I feel like I don't get it, and I don't know if that's a, an issue that the people in the businesses behind AI haven't explained it properly. They haven't demonstrated that sort of value add or provided those reassurances. And of course, Obviously, a nice reassuring article about how AI is good for everyone is not exactly going to sell more copies of The Sun, but theres yeah. do you think there's a job to be done in telling
1: that story? Say, no, I generally think the AI industry needs its own PR campaign, so if AI industry you are listening, I'm happy to help with that. <laughs> um, I think that is definitely something you're going to need to look at as a collective. Because actually, a lot of the understanding around AI is because everyone associates it with this notion of what the industry would call generalized artificial intelligence. That notion that there is an AI that can solve multiple problems. Um, at the moment, AI is and for, the, you know, for the foreseeable, and potentially the long-term foreseeable, just a really good tool at doing one thing. You point it in the direction of. Okay, it's 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 like. You know, it's a hammer, it will do a nail. You can't take a hammer and then screw it in a screwdriver. You need a screwdriver for that. AI is like a very specific tool at the moment. And as a result, um, I think some of the concerns around mass job losses may be overstated. That being said, if you're in a profession where 90% of what you do is the equivalent of a hammer banging a nail, I would be concerned. That's why there are some concerns in the US about potentially self-driving, Gain, I think that might be overstated. Certainly, in the in the in the um, in the near term, um, and why I think actually some of those uh, professions that previously we've seen as being you know the professions that we all wanted to send our kids off to do to school, like some of the legal profession, where a lot of that job is uh, in certain uh, functions about uh, seeking through and finding information. Um, it's the equivalent of a hammer and a nail. And I think <laughs> that's the, the, the roles and functions that I'd be most concerned of.
0: I was really shocked that 54% of people um responded that they were afraid of innovation. Um that is a very interesting statistic. Where do you think this fear of cause it's not just automation but innovation itself, where do you think this fear is coming from? <laughs>
1: Uh, again, I think a lot of it is probably tied up in the slightly more dystopian narrative we have uh, around technology at the moment, which isn't helped by go back to the conversation we were having earlier around the fact that at the moment there's so much of the the world's wealth is is caught up in kind of five companies that reside in Silicon Valley or, or at least in, in, in the US. Um, in the at the moment, the promise of innovation from a uh, a capital perspective is not being equitably shared. You know, we've seen some great breakthroughs in technology in the last fifteen years, but from a capitalist perspective, it's making the zero point zero one percent that much richer, while everyone else's kind of standard of living has even flatlined. Um, that being said, there are other measures of innovation that I think we should always look at. Um, actually, if we look at the global average, people have never longer, the infant mortality has fallen, um, general prosperity and the increase of the middle class has Yeah, you know, Technology plays a very large part in that. My concern is that I don't think we'll be saying the same thing in five years unless there's some pretty um, serious action taken to kind of look at how we are living in a much more globalised society when it comes to uh, equitable capital models.
0: Whose responsibility do you think that is?
1: Huh. Um, I Actually, there's a lot of responsibility on the companies themselves. Like I, I'm a big believer of don't wait to be regulated, self-regulate. Um, the concern there is if you're beholden to Wall Street um, for your ongoing valuation, self-regulation is a hard thing to do. My personal view is like sometimes the hard thing is the right thing.
2: Oftentimes, living and working in London, it's easy to forget just how many people globalization has left behind. And we kind of take it for granted that now you can even make calls on the tube using your Wi-Fi, while there are still parts of Britain that don't have consistent access to the Internet. And I think that these are very real societal concerns that it's easy for us to get swept up in the next big thing or focus on yeah. whatever is shiny and in front of us and not take into consideration. And I think while, while businesses do need to self-regulate and ultimately one, one would hope that they can recognize the long-term value in doing the right thing before you're forced. I do think that there's a, a role of, of the government and a role of uh, civil organizations, so NGOs, charities, to, to draw attention to these issues and to think about how we can create a more equitable society where the promise of tech is actually delivered and we sort of close that gap between what we say about all of the magic of technology and what functionally happens and the boots on the ground doing when it comes to deployment of tech who benefits where those opportunities go
1: yeah I mean I I think a great example of that is the the, one of my favorite topics actually is kind of life extension and and sort of where technology has met met biotechnology and biology Um, because there is so much money going into this sort of quest for life extension at the moment there's this sort of talk of how we can probably all Can afford it, have an extra 50, 60, 70, 100 years of life. And these are all technologies that are kind of emerging and looking to potentially have some real viability to them. Uh, At the same time, though, we still have malaria and we still have TB. Like, let's really think about the world in which we want to sort of uh, leave behind. Uh, and, and at the moment, I am very fearful that we are seeing a, a real polarisation of potential species here. You know, it's the notion of that there are going to be the rich and the can-do that will will we'll see the promise of technology and then those that get left behind. Um, I, again, am an optimist. I, I believe that the right people will come up with the right ideas at the right time. I think some of those right people are potentially those people ahead of these businesses at the moment. Um, who will realise that it's time to do something a little bit different. And I'm not a massive fan of the the current model of well I'm going to make billions and billions of pounds and then then I'm going to step back and do some philanthropy. I I think that's not the way to look at the world at the moment. We need to sort of build it into our fabric of our systems, build into the fabric of our businesses and one would hope actually sort of look at our world in a global perspective um, because actually all this talk about the mobile, you know, the uprising and the robots and stuff, we're sat here in, a, in a, you know, a nice London kind of environment. The actual populations that are going to suffer from this are the populations that base their economies on providing, in essence, a supply chain to the U.S., to the U.K., and now to China. Countries like Indonesia and India, these are the countries that are really going to see the, 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 the brunt of automation.
0: Looking forward into the future, what do you think the trust barometer will look like next year? (laughs) I mean, considering the rate of innovation and how fast things are changing. And you've mentioned, you know, technology has a great ability to bring people together, but it also has a great ability to polarise people. You mentioned the different split between the classes. So do you think that would increase the level of mistrust and indeed a gap between people
1: yeah I'm I'm not Nostradamus uh but you know my unless things change I would expect to see perhaps um uh, an ongoing increase in trust from the informed public um, and more the elites of society shall we say in technology and potentially when we look at the mass a decrease Uh, we haven't really seen them sort of peel away um uh, and actually, I'm always sometimes surprised that tech still remains the most trusted sector, because it is, and it's and it's ten points clear of any other sectors we look at, um, because I do think people still genuinely look and go, well, my life is a bit better because I have a smartphone now, and my smartphone now is the equivalent of having nine devices that you previously have had to pay for, a camera, a calculator, compass, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of benefit that technology is providing to the everyday individual. I think the challenge is that it's not necessarily being realized at that societal level. And I think increasingly we're going to see groups of people realize that potentially they're being left behind. I hope not. I'm an optimist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think that the the trust in, in the tech sector will continue to be high. Um, and I've had numerous conversations about this with colleagues that it's that promise, it's that optimistic as as you see it justin uh, the optimistic view that tech will provide the solutions that we need um, but whether or not we'll be comfortable with the individual solutions as they come is sort of another question so while we see that trust in the tech sector is potential is higher than certain tech companies we'll see that promise of innovation in the vague and opaque continue to sort of steer us forward. But unless we can do a better job of explaining who benefits and in what way and how we all move forward together from some of these innovations. I think we're going to see increased regulation. I think we're going to continue to see distrust of some of these new technological advancements. And I think there will be real concerns that drive this gap between the informed and everybody else that really is leading to some very interesting times. globally
1: and here. Yeah, and again, there is, there is so much amazing innovation happening in the world. There seriously is. But when we think about the general population, what they're exposed to, um, it's very hard not to see the innovation they're, they're, they're witnessing as innovation for advertising sake. You know, they're, they're seeing kind of improvements and incremental moves in their, their ecosystem, which ultimately is really about finding, getting more data for them and, and selling more stuff they probably need. Um, and, and I think when, when we do these kind of surveys and look at it, people look at it through their individual experience. Um, and the, the challenge at the moment is, and I hate the term tech lash, because technology is so much bigger than these four or five companies. And even within those companies, they do many different things. Um, so much of our narrative is focused at the moment around social, yeah, you know, social really. And that's what we're kind of centering our argument around technology there's tons of amazing stuff happening in the world
0: well thank you justin pleasure Jackie, i think that's about yeah, that all we have time for um so thanks so much for joining us on the show thank you thank you for listening to sideload don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and if you want to get in touch send an email to sideload at edible.com see you next time